I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is Rachel Zucker, a professional stage manager whose Broadway credits include six, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, The Prom, True West, Pretty Woman, Farinelli and the King, and Indecent. Off-Broadway, she has worked at The Public Theater, Shakespeare in the Park, New York City Center, New York Theatre Workshop, and Signature Theatre Company. And regionally, she has worked at the Studio Theatre in Washington, D.C., and Roundhouse Theatre in Bethesda, Maryland. She holds an MFA in Stage Management from Columbia University. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Stefan. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm great. We're so happy to have you on American Theatre Artists Online on our podcast. Um, Thank you so much for agreeing to be on here. Of course. I'm really excited. Well, I'm really excited because you're our first stage manager. Woo! Right? I know. It shouldn't have taken me so long. We're in season two. But, um, you know, we've had designers. We've had directors. Uh, but I really, really wanted to talk to someone who was working in the field of stage management professionally. So I thought of you. That's amazing. I'm, <laughs> you know, super excited to uh, talk about stage management. Yeah, along. well, tell, just to start off, you know, before we even dive into the actual work of stage management and everything that you do, because I think this will be interesting for folks, because I don't know how many of my listeners actually, I know some of uh, my listeners, you know, some of them are really into theater and they know every aspect of others are really more, you know, they're, they're theater audiences and, and they may not know everything a stage manager does behind the scenes. So it could be kind of interesting. God, to talk about what a stage manager does? I think. <laughs> um, okay, well, there is about nothing that a stage manager does not do. Um, just a little bit about what we do. We do a lot of emails, a lot of scheduling, a nice. lot of management between people, uh, actors and designers and directors and producers and general managers and wardrobe. And we're just kind of like the... You know, some people refer it to as like a CPU, but we are just like the main anchor, the main captain of a ship uh, that is a show. And so, you know, there are different duties assigned to where you fall on your team. So normally it's a production stage manager who's like the head honcho, the head boss. Uh, They are the person in charge of everything during a show. They're the ones that are calling the cues. And then uh, if we're talking about Broadway, there is a first and then which is known as the stage manager and then a second which is the assistant stage manager and then teams are usually made up of production assistants pas and interns and 
you know, it's depending on the level of show and how big it is, uh, a musical always gets two. You get the first and the second, and a play usually just gets a stage manager first. And so the first and the second, they run the deck. So they are making sure automation and actors and everything is moving swiftly and functioning correctly and everybody is safe. And sometimes it's a one-person deck, sometimes it's a two-person deck. Uh, You can make it into a one-person track so that the PSM can go and watch the show and note the show or go do an office show and do all of the paperwork and the scheduling and the understudy work that they need to do. So there's really just nothing that a stage manager does not do in the world of theater. Wow. It sounds like you've answered that question before. (laughs) Um, I I mean, and there is a, you know, there's a talk among stage managers because our job is not really defined. Mm -hmm. And there are some people in the movement of we should define our job. And there are some people in the we shouldn't define our job camp. Um, We just don't want to be pigeonholed and we don't want to do things that are not actually ours to do. Mm -hmm. So there's like a fine line of what does a stage manager do? What do they not do? And it really is person by person, show by show. And, you know, what is happening in the moment? Well, it's a lot, right? And so a lot of what you just described is really great because people get an idea of sort of, you know, it's a team. I always say a stage management team, especially on the bigger shows and some of these big musicals on Broadway that you have been on the team I mean, that's it takes a village. It's not just one person in the light booth or the sound booth or however people think it is or on a design, you know, in, in somewhere on a stage manager's table, you know, with the script. It's not just like that. Right. And then also, as you said, musical versus play is two very different, you know, depending how big the show is. Right. The more people on the team. Is that how it usually works? Um. So. Yes. Uh, Usually it's in the production contract for equity that a musical, you have to have a second. And then usually you have to prove that you need a third or a fourth on the team. And so big musicals like King Kong and um, I'm trying to think of another Beetlejuice, like in Moulin Rouge, like these shows are just so big and there are so many entrances and components and moving parts that it is unsafe to not have that amount of stage managers on a team. And so plays, because usually they're not as, I mean, they can be as big, but they're usually not as big and not as many moving parts. It is possible that you could have a second on a play. So let's take a play like um, uh, the play that goes wrong. That's the name of that show, right? Um, They did not technically have a second, but that is the type of play where like you should have a second on a play because it's just so big and so many things are moving. Right. I was thinking Um, like, like noises off would be another example of a play where you might need more or am I not really? Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And so give a classic. And it's really, you know, you could have a play though with like 30 people. And if there's no moving set, you know, that's, you know, you can still only have one person. So it's um, not it determined really determines- by number of cast members. No. Okay. And so it's mm-hmm. determined by the equity production contract. Mm-hmm. And then if you find that the show just cannot run without this amount of people, you have to prove to the general managers who then go to the producers to say, Hey, we have to have somebody else on contract. Mm-hmm. And so there are shows like, Beetlejuice and King Kong that were like, you know, they automatically already had a third assigned because they just knew how technically complicated those shows are. Wow. I mean, I didn't know a lot of that. So I'm glad that you went into that detail. And so another question I think a lot of people have about actual what state, you know, since we're still on the topic of what do stage managers do? 
my my impression, having been a professional actor for many years and, and also now a choreographer and director, my impression is that the role of the stage manager, what makes it so complex is that it kind of shifts and changes from rehearsal to tech to performance to runs of the show, in my view. I don't know if that's some, how you would categorize it. Is it like, I mean, is it different? Is the role different from rehearsals tech to performance? of I mean you are who you are and you know every stage manager has their own brand is Mm -hmm. that we like to call it the job just changes a little bit so we stay the same but in rehearsal it is making sure we get recordings of you know the choreographed numbers so that Mm -hmm. our dance captain and our swings can get it it is making sure everything in the theater is moving on schedule so that we can get in there for tech um, for, you know, uh, first and seconds and PAs, we are making the show work in the rehearsal room. And it's usually, we don't have, you know, it's too, things are too big. We can't have everything in the rehearsal room, but mm-hmm. it's making the show work with stand-ins and just reminding the cast to be like, remember, this is a track. The, there's furniture moving behind you, so you mm-hmm. cannot go back that far. Um, and then once we get to tech, it's just making sure that everything works, uh, smoothly and quickly and my favorite part of the process is tech and that's usually you know for stage managers that I know it's also their favorite part just because it's the most technically complicated obviously part Um, but it's just figuring out everything we did in the rehearsal room and translating it to the stage Mm -hmm. and just making sure you know everything is moving correctly being eyes and ears for the PSM who you know doesn't have the view that we have and just making sure actors are completely safe and then once we kind of get into the show you know we're through previews we've opened it then is just a lot of maintenance and how we maintain a show after the director and the designers have left us and so you know it is doing put-in rehearsals and understudy rehearsals and just you know making sure maintenance and everything is looking smoothly making sure all the light cues are still as designed uh just a lot of maintenance after we get open is our job. You know, and having been someone who's had to come into a show that was already up and running uh, as a swing or an understudy in the past, I, I always thought it was fascinating. And this was th- something I knew because I was in theater, but I think a lot of people that are not in theater don't know this, is that when you join a company or when you join a show, you're not, ne- depending on the situation, you're not necessarily going to be working with the original director or choreographer on that show, if it's a musical, you may be very well working with the stage manager and the dance captain or a combination of those people, right? That is absolutely correct. Usually by the time that, so show usually starts with a certain amount of swings and a certain amount of, you know, covers and understudies. Um, But, you know, those people move on. You Mm -hmm. could, you know, have somebody in the chorus who gets a lead role in another show and they have to go, so you have to recast. And the people who come in as replacements, they normally do not work. The, the choreographer and the director are long gone on another show. Mm-hmm. So it really is then a relationship with the assistant director, if there is one, or the associate director, and the dance captain who is integral to mm-hmm. a large-scale musical and the stage manager. Those three people and the, and I should say, besides the dance captain, the associate and assistant choreographers, if they're there. Sure. But normally because the assistant director and the assistant, um, the dance captain is always there. Like it's usually Mm -hmm. somebody in the ensemble. And so normally the, you know, uh, put-ins are run by, 
you know, the stage manager and the dance captain. And it's, you know, not well known that even the assistant director and the assistant choreographers, if there are some, they only get paid to come in like once or twice a week. They're not there all the time. And they have to do other, they can't, you know, live on that salary. So they have to do other shows. And so they're not around all the time. And so it's a lot of scheduling just to make sure that the person who's being put in feels safe. But it really, it's like a, a strong shout out to all dance captains out there because they are really integral to putting somebody into a very large musical. Right. And then in terms of the blocking or remembering where to go, as, as, as those of us, you know, those not in the theater who are listening, blocking is your movements on stage and, and where the director originally had characters move. That's something that you or whoever the stage manager keeps in a book, right? Or some sort of I assume I used to be that way. I don't know if it's still that way. It keeps in a book with all the notes. So you, you could be the person telling the actor that's coming into a show where they have to move and go during lines and scenes. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Wow. They're depending on how big the musical is. So say, let's say Tina, for example, that show is so large that, you know, um, uh, the blocking book came after, you know, so mm. it was, we got the show up and running. We then off of a video, the stage managers put together a blocking book. And then that blocking book is what we take to, uh, to an understudy rehearsal or a swing rehearsal and say, you know, okay, just remember that like the closet is coming out on track one, the, the revolve is moving. You can't step here, here, here. You're supposed to be right here between zero and two, which is dance numbers, usually on the front of the stage. Like, okay, you're going to enter right one and you're going to go to like left 10, something like that along the lines. But we really are the people who are like, all right, this is, you know, not only where you're going, but a stage manager is also the person that was like, if they're like, what, if the assistant director is not there, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, it will defer to the assistant director but if the assistant director is not there, a stage manager is also the person who's like, what is my intention in this? Like, wow. I'm having a, a character question. Mm-hmm. Like, what? why would I do this? And because we were listening and taking notes to what the director is saying, is that we also, too, know, like, your intention is that you want your mom to stay or mm-hmm. you're sad about X, Y, and Z. But just, like, knowing what the director wanted mm-hmm. and just making sure we maintain that vision even in their absence. Yeah, maintaining the integrity of the show and how the original production and director what the director wanted out of it what the choreographer wanted is such a key role that stage managers play and I remember being in a regional production of a musical and having the stage manager come to me you know three weeks into the run or four weeks into the run saying you know remember when you worked with the director and it was kind of like this it's sort of going too far this way can you bring it back to what it was when the director and you know when you're a young actor you're kind of like why is the stage manager giving me but then it was absolutely right I mean she was she was telling me to keep the integrity of the show that the director had directed right I mean that's that's crucial. So all those things you're explaining make total sense. So, okay, you have been part of the stage management team. So let, let's get down to the nitty gritty here. For some pretty, pretty big shows on Broadway and some very popular ones as well. Um, Six, the musical, right? The new, that was, I think, happening, right? During the pandemic, did you guys have to shut down because of, the, of COVID-19? Uh, we actually, Broadway shut down on our opening night. We were 90 minutes away from our opening night. Curtain. Okay, we've got to talk about that in a second. But aside from six, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, which I saw, and it's a huge show, as you just mentioned. The Prom, which I also saw and uh, loved. 
And so those are pretty big experiences and those are, are pretty big shows. So can you share some, some of the, some maybe a highlight or insight from each of those? Let's start with six, um, since that was the one that we, you were working on when you had to shut down for COVID-19. How was that experience? Tell, tell, the, tell the people listening a little bit about that show and what your role was and, and what happened when you guys had to shut down. So six is a new musical. It actually started in London and it's actually like this incredible story of how it got started. It got started by two 20 somethings writing the show to graduate from Cambridge Mm. and Toby Marlowe, one of the writers uh, was, he was given a spot to go to Edinburgh with a new musical. And he had actually watched something that Lucy Moss, who's the other co-writer had directed and was like, I absolutely need Lucy on this. Mm. And six is about the six XYs of Henry the eighth. It is a quick, funny, witty, 80 minute musical. That's like a pop concert. And every single ex-wife of Henry VIII, Henry VIII is never seen. It is just a show full of ladies with a lady band that just sing pop songs for 80 minutes. And each one of the queens, we call them the queens, gets like their power number. Like there's no ensemble. They are all lead characters and they get their power moments and then they get big group numbers. And it's just so fun. And they actually just uh, started back up in London as of last night or a night ago. They were able to get started again, which is really exciting just for our company. Um, Sure. But the show is just incredible. And like Lucy Moss is the youngest female director in a Broadway stage. And when I asked her about it, she was like, why did it take till 2020 for this to happen? That was her response. So like, she's a a badass. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to curse. No, you can curse all you want on American Theater Artists Online. It's totally open. um, Amazing. (laughs) Um, So it started in London and it actually then went to Chicago. And then the Chicago cast took it to Boston and then St. Paul. And I think there was somewhere in Canada. I'm, you know, misremembering where, but, Mm. you know, so it actually was touring the country and then finally landed on Broadway. And I actually got the job because a um, the PSM was a former professor of mine. And we actually just happened to meet on a train, 42nd Street A. And about six months before the show happened, she was like, tell me your five-year plan. And I told her that I wanted to contract myself outright. That was one of my dreams. And then when it came time for the show, they weren't supposed to get a second. And then it ended up they were getting a second. And she was like, would you like to interview? And I interviewed. And just because of that small conversation on a train about my five-year plan, she got me the job. Her name is Bonnie Panson, and I love her very dearly. Um, And so the show is, you know, the, the ladies have been doing it for the last year. Like, they have been taking that show on the road for the last year on Out of Towns, knowing that it was going to come to Broadway when a space Mm -hmm. became available. And so it was a quick two-week rehearsal process, which is not normal. That's not normal. So that's Um, fast, right? It's very fast. Mm -hmm. You normally get about four weeks in the rehearsal studio, three to four weeks, and then two weeks of tech for a musical normally. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this was two weeks in the rehearsal room. I actually think it was like 10 days and then a week of tech and then we were into previews. Like it was very, very fast. And it's just, you know, because it's, uh, you know, something like Tina where Adrienne Warren is working her ass off and she is Mm -hmm. so incredible. You know, there were days during tech and previews that we were able able to rest her and work on ensemble numbers and work with other people of the cast. But because 
all queens and six are essentially leads. We are not able to rest people as often as we liked. So it was just, you know, combating fatigue and just making sure that we are ready for an audience each day with notes and working on things and finessing things. Um, but it was just a really lovely, enjoyable experience. And just like all of the female power around, like besides you know, the six ladies on stage and the four band members on stage. We're an all-female stage management team. We're an all-female company management team. We're an all-female wardrobe team. We have female hair, female A2. Like, there's just so much badass lady feminism around. Awesome. And it was so enjoyable to be there. And then, you know, it started getting, COVID started getting mm-hmm. closer and closer to home. One of our ushers tested positive mm-hmm. and that kind of, you know, you know, we knew it was coming. We just didn't know if we were going to be able to get our opening in or not. And we actually ended up, you know, uh, learning that Governor Cuomo uh, did the 500 person ban, which is obviously above the amount of people we could have in our theater for our opening. So we did not end up opening the show. Um, but we're, you know, hoping that once uh, the vaccine rolls out and people can go back to the theater safely, we are hoping to go back and open the show uh, soon. Absolutely, especially since I'm hoping they're starting the vaccination with people who are most um, vulnerable, because then those people will feel a little more protected. And those of us who might be on the younger side, I mean, it's dangerous for everyone, could could at least feel like we're not going to pass it on to someone. You know, it's terrible. The virus is just something that I really need to take care of that first, and then we'll get we'll get back in. But so, you know, I listened to the cast recording. I haven't gotten a chance to see the show six but the cast recording is out there and it is just, this is for, I don't know if it's the London cast that's out there. Did you guys do get a chance to do a recording of the Broadway cast yet? Um, that is the London cast. That's what I thought. Uh, it, it is normally, so like Tina was also a London transfer. So mm-hmm. I had just like a year of London transfers um, <laughs> and they did not record Broadway because you know, the London's already there and, sure. and the producers say, why do we want to, do that cost. Right. Um, so we have not done a Broadway recording, uh, but it is possible that we could do, we could do something. I, unfortunately, if it were up to me, that Broadway cast recording would have been out day right. negative one. Well, because it's um, one of those shows that you can just listen to in your car, you can listen to at home and it's very catchy. The music is so trendy pop now. Um, it's just feels so youthful and feminine and full of a great female energy. It's just such a great show to listen to. I can't wait to see it on stage. That's absolutely correct. I'm like, it was written by some 20-somethings. And it's like, all right, guys, you are so talented. Keep going. I was so excited to see something new and innovative. This is what I want to see more and more of on Broadway. This is what I want to see more and more of in the future for our theater everywhere in the United States. So I'm really looking forward to this. And I think I think you guys are going to, once you open up again in the late spring or early fall or whenever it is this year, which will be sooner than you think, um, I think you guys are going to be huge. It's going to be a huge hit. Now, um, let's talk a bit about Tina, the Tina Turner musical, which had opened already and did get a chance to do, um, you know, a pretty healthy run. Um, you were working on that show as well. Do, what, do you have any experience from that that you wanted to share? That show, Tina, I actually, so... I thought I knew there was everything I needed to know about musical theater and being a stage manager for musical theater. Mm -hmm. And my education did not peak until that show. And I really, that is an homage to my team. Mm -hmm. And that was 
a phenomenal team. The first was actually my PSM, Glenn Turner, over at the prom. Another PA was the second over at the prom. So it kind of felt like a family and just learning how to maintain a show as big as Tina was just so pivotal to my education as a stage manager because there's just so much you have to do to keep the show running of that size. And, you know, especially Adrienne Warren, who is just so fucking phenomenal. I will say that proudly that, you know, and it's so demanding. That show is so demanding for her. So we do have, you know, Tina covers and Mm -hmm. we actually got down to the point there was one weekend where a cold was ripping through the the uh, uh, the company and Adrian went down Tina number one went down mm. Tina number uh, sorry, sorry she's Tina number one the Tina number one cover went down and so we actually had to do like two Tina swaps a Friday night we went from Tina one to Tina two and then Saturday night we went from Tina two to Tina three during the show oh my during, god so during act like Friday act one night. act two kind of thing well actually so the first night you know Tina number one went down at intermission wow. uh, and then uh, Tina number two went in and then the next night Tina number two actually walked off right before, like, the scene that was right before the end of Act One could not finish the show because the show is just so physically and mentally demanding. So we, like, had to emergency put Tina three in. But this happened over the course of one weekend. It was... We just, stage manager, yeah. Oh, my God. It was absolutely crazy and, like, you know, bless the entire wardrobe team and the hair team and the dance captain and the rest of the company for just taking it like champs because, you know, people say you never know what's going to happen in live theater. And that's absolutely correct. And things that I can't even begin to imagine start happening. And I'm like, Oh, right. This is why I love this. You know, I think a lot of people who aren't in theater, who go, who are audiences, who enjoy theater, a lot of them have no idea that a lot of times the most complex parts of the show are behind the scenes, are not what they see on stage. It's all, there's a choreography, there is a planning, right? There is a whole management of what happens behind in the wings and, you know, people changing costume, wigs, I mean, the quick changes, the set changes. I mean, I wish we could learn more about that. I wish there could be more um, documentaries about that kind of work. I know some people think it's boring. I don't think it's boring at all. I think that's what's the real interest. I mean, don't you think if someone could put a camera, if you were allowed, you know, you know, to officially put a camera back there and do a documentary on what goes behind the scenes in a show, not just in rehearsal, but in the actual performance, don't you think that would be a show in and of itself? Oh, I, I think people, it would be so eye opening. Like what they see on stage is nothing like what is happening and especially because with these old broadway theaters the wings are very tiny they're very very tiny so the choreography of things that have to happen like you know i'll bring in the prom on this but the stage of the oh god i'm blanking on the theater app but stage left it's going to come to me as i'm talking Mm -hmm. um oh my god long acre Longacre, thank yeah. you. Yes, I Long saw Acre. it, so I'm guilty. I should I should remember the theater, the Long Acre, I believe, was the problem. Right? It is. I mean, I should have remembered the name of it. I too, don't know. So I have like a weird memory. <laughs> yeah, it's, you've, you've done it's, too many shows, Rachel, to be able to remember every theater you've been in. But okay, so it's the Long Acre, the prom. Yes, what was the Long Acre? There was a sequence of choreography because there was a 
there was a scene that was in an Applebee's and there were three booths. All three of those booths are in the air. We had literally three minutes to do, like, get the booths down, get them locked, get the actors in. The choreography that goes on backstage, that is why big musicals get two weeks of tech. Because it's not normally for the actors on stage. Like, they find their marks, they find their light, they know where they're going. But there are times where we have to go back because we didn't get a quick change in enough time. Mm -hmm. Or we didn't get the booth down and locked in and the actors placed. There is so much choreography that goes on backstage. And the stage managers are really the point people for that. Along with your deck carpenter, Mm -hmm. you know, it's... A communication and dialogue of like, all right, what if we do this and we move these people here and we put this here? And there are times with like quick changes where it's like, we didn't get that, but we need to make modifications to the outfit. Like we need to make this quick rigged. We need to take this off. It's finding these things out in tech so that every department knows what they need to do to make everything happen on time. And there are some times where it is physically not possible. So writers will have to write more music or write a little intro dialogue to you. Just, they will give us things because, you know, we will do everything we can to make sure that everything is in the right place. But sometimes it's just so big. And so that's, you know, seen in like the long acre, like in our run sheet, which is what we do, what we write down for stage readers to know what is happening is that we had a warning of like, if this is not ready, you have to tell the PSM that we are behind and we might not make the scene change. So it was, you know, we were like, this has to hit the deck by here. This has to be locked in by here. If this is not happening, you have to tell the PSM so they can make the decision to hold the show. Wow. Well, you know, Rachel, as I'm listening to you and you're describing some of these things that you're going through and that the team is going through on these large musicals, um, I can feel so much excitement in your voice, so much uh, professionalism and so much passion. So I start to think, how did you get started? How, how was stage management something? If you could go back a little bit now to talk, you've just talked about your experiences on these three big shows. What, a, what led you in your life as a young person to go, this is what I want to do. Did you always know or was it something that developed over time? This is an answer I have, uh, <laughs> you know, said before, so you'll hear it. Sure. Um, but so my mother is a community theater actress and a music teacher. Uh-huh. And my father is an international trade lawyer that focuses on Russian and Chinese steel. And so when I was young, correct. And so when I was younger and we didn't have enough money for a babysitter because my mom is at rehearsal, it was go to work with mom or go to work with dad. Obviously I'm going to go to work with mom. So I kind of grew up in a theater watching her act and just Mm. being in awe of everything I was seeing. And, you know, it started with me just being quiet and coloring and watching to when I was 15, my mom was like, do you want to be on the run crew of, it was probably a Christmas carol or sound of music, you know, Mm -hmm. something. And I was like, I would absolutely love to be on the run crew. And I did, I thought, you know, maybe for like one minute, I wanted to be an actor like my mom, but my stage fright is just so extraordinarily bad. And my mother is really great at it. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm on the run crew. And then there was a musical she was in, A Fine and Private Place, I think for Old Dominion Stage or something. And they needed an assistant stage manager. And so I started doing that and I just kind of fell in love with it. And I'd always been kind of, 
I'll say bossy, but like I always wanted to be in charge ever since I was five (laughs) and like that I can remember. So it just kind of felt like a natural fit. And so I started doing it in high school and then, um, undergraduate, I really knew that that is what I wanted to do with my life. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, you definitely have thought through that, that answer. And it's good that you've really connected the dots from when you were young to sort of, you know, how you get to where you are now. So when you're in college, so when did you start diving more deeply into stage management? Was it in college? It was. So, you know, I did it pretty often in high school. And then in my undergraduate career, I knew that's what I wanted to be. And so I went to UVA in Charlottesville. I did it. Um, And I, uh, you know, I did a double major between drama and psychology, but Mm -hmm. there was nobody else that really wanted to be a stage manager except one other person. Mm -hmm. So I did like my, you know, I would have to go back. I don't quite remember, but my senior year, I did three of the four main stage productions because nobody wanted to stage manage. And I had a mentor down there, Caitlin McLeod, who really just helped me and nurtured me and I owe a lot of where I am today because of her and her taking the time to really finesse my stage management skills. Mm. Well, it's great to hear that you went to UVA, my alma mater as well. UVA drama is a great place. And um, I remember when I was there way before you, because I'm way older than you, um, our two star stage management people were women Juleen Collins and Kelly Mangus. And those two ladies stage managed everything at that theater at UVA Drama for the four years that I was there. And that was the same time Tina Fey was there. So it was kind of like a, a big deal, you know, later on. But not, not at the time, we didn't know. But, uh, but Juleen and Kelly. So I wanted to bring back something you said earlier, which is you talked about the power of women in theater and lady power, you said, which I think is a great term, and women I want to talk about that particularly in stage management because I think it's really unsung. Uh, From a very young age, I can remember, yeah, I had some male stage managers. They were okay. But, you know, and this isn't, you know, I don't want to, you know, talk bad about, you know, when guys do stage management, there are some amazing male stage managers. But my strongest memories of are these amazing women in charge. And, you know... You know, what is it? Why is that? Why is that? Um, I will, I will say that I do, I do know a lot of great male stage managers. Um, I do think there is a lack of representation for non-binary stage managers. And I hope Mm -hmm. that that's something that we can start addressing in the, uh, the, uh, current future. Um, but so I think, you know, It really, it really depends. I think I'll just talk about the lady stage managers I have had is that they're just so unafraid to be themselves. And that is something that I aspire to be. It's I'm not quite there. I'm kind of learning my voice still. And these women are just so incredible about saying what they need, saying what needs to happen, not caring what people think of them because they know that they're doing a great job. And so, you know, the bosses that I have had, they're just extraordinary because they know what they need to do and they are also warm about it. Mm -hmm. So they're human, they're approachable, they're knowledgeable, they're empathetic, they're a good listener, they're an unpaid therapist. They are just 
absolutely extraordinary. And then we have to talk about how some of these stage managers are also moms and how they're able to be part of a family, their own family, and work as a stage manager working 14, 15 hours a day, six to seven days a week. Mm. And just, you know, the amount of sacrifice it takes on them, the amount of balance they need to find. And it is just so extraordinary learning from these women. Yeah, I I think I agree. And, you know, talk about being moms also in, in some cases, but also... This I had a friend who is who was you know who is a, a a female stage manager and she said to me, it's because and I I don't know if I agree with this and it is kind of gendered but that's okay you know we we can talk about you know different genders and you know and non-binary as well but um, she said women are have a strong ability to be able to multitask and they can think about three different things at once. And men, and she was joking, right? She was she was generalizing, but she said men can only focus on one thing at a time. And she was joking. She said it with a laugh, right? So I took it. We took it as a joke, not as anything serious. But I think what she was saying is there is something there about the ability for these strong um, women to really, really get in there and be all those things that you just described, not just think about all those different pieces, but also there's like a nurturing side of like, I've got you, you're gonna be fine, go do it. You know, and as an actor, I've experienced that so many times that it's just become ingrained in me. It's just like something I assume, but you're right. We should we should expand it. It shouldn't be to male or female, it should be anyone and and we should get as many different people of as many different backgrounds involved in stage management as we can right that's absolutely correct and i think you know things for the broadway stage management world it is still a very gay male dominated field interesting so i think the the women the older women who i have learned from they've had to claw their way up Mm. just to prove that they also get a point to be there. And I think, you know, I'd be remiss to say that we, Broadway has a, a white people problem where we need more people who are non-white to be able to be Broadway PSMs. And that is something that, you know, there are task force and unions are working towards this, but there just needs to be more diverse people in the ranks. And Broadway is very, very white at the moment. And it just needs to, you know, it needs to change. You know, and I've heard that from a lot of people that I've interviewed so far about that. And, you know, it is just a, for some reason it's been in there and you're right. And I think the, the key is to just get in there and make it as diverse as we can and, and recruit and get people interested in careers in stage management in this case. So let's talk, your undergrad at UVA and then you went and you actually got your MFA in stage management, right? A master of fine arts? That is correct. So you went and studied stage management, and I know other people who've gone and studied. You know, I had a really good colleague friend of mine, Naveen Mahmoud, who had studied uh, MFA in stage management at Yale. It was actually UVA drama. Uh, she's, she, she passed, unfortunately, but, but she was uh, stage managing on Broadway. She stage managed on the team of Color Purple and some other, and she was this amazing Middle Eastern woman uh, who was just so brilliant. Um, and so I just wonder, you know, like how do people, and that's why I asked you the question, how do people get involved and interested in stage management? And then how do they then know what to pursue and where to go? If someone wants to study stage management, what would you recommend they do? I would say find any opportunity. No show is too small. 
a show in a community theater is not less important than a show on Broadway. Yeah. Find any show that you would like to stage manage. And even if you're not good at it to start, that's okay. It is a practiced, finessed skill. Some people have more natural abilities and some people grow and learn into it. And no show is too small. Finding connections, making connections, not being afraid to do something that makes you afraid. Find any show that's looking for somebody. Also reach out to a theater community or, you know, more specifically a stage management community and see if they need help or if they know somebody who's looking for somebody. And just keep, you know, using any resource, any connection, any person that you have to finally get the job that you want or find a job that you like or figure out what you want to do. And, you know, do you want to be a PSM? Do you want to be the person in charge? Do you want to be the first? Do you want to be the second? Do you want to be a PA? You know, no job is too small. Reach out to anybody you can, or if you know of anybody who knows or somebody, I think I'm repeating myself. Um, but if you are interested, there are people in the stage management community that will help you get you where you want to be. No, I think I think it's great. I think you're right. The best way to learn is to do, right? In this particular case, more than ever, perhaps. But in terms of actually studying, what what does one learn in a stage management program? Is it all just sort of how to keep a book or the Bible or whatever they call it, or how to how to to notate blocking? How to? I mean, what are there certain specific skills that you learn in a in a? Are there a lot of programs? I mean, I know there are MFA programs in stage management, but I assume a lot of it is doing, right? A lot of it is doing, I would say, if you know you want to be a stage manager, mm -hmm. uh, like I went to a BA program, but there mm -hmm. are BFA programs in stage management out there. I, yeah. you know, would have to look them up off the top of my head, but sure. you can go to a BA program, a BFA program. I don't exactly know what happens in a BFA program, but I'll talk about my UVA BA program. Mm -hmm. You know, that is where, you know, I learned how to do my book, how to take blocking, mm -hmm. um, how to put down dance numbers and tape the floor, just all of the rudimentary things that you need as like part of your toolkit. Mm -hmm. And then I actually went to Columbia university to get my MFA because I knew I wanted to teach one day mm -hmm. and I don't, you know, I, the things that I learned there, uh, especially because New York city is the classroom is I learned how to make connections and network and, what it takes to be in a union house, especially an IATSE house and all of the union rules that I needed to know. So it was just like a supplementary, that's not the right word, but like a supplemental mm -hmm. addition to my education. And I really, the, the program is run by Michael Passaro, who is, I call him lovingly the king of the big, long running, technically complex musicals. He's the PSM on Moulin Rouge right now. Mm. Before that, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There might have been one in between, but he does these big, huge musicals and he is just so talented mm. and he knows everybody in the theater community. He knows absolutely everybody. Like I uh, work with a guy named Matty DiCarlo, who is the youngest male PSM on Broadway. And so he's, you know, he's like somebody I idolize, you know, that's all young stage managers idolize him because he was the youngest and he, he might kill me if he hears me say this, but he fangirls over Michael. So like, mm -hmm. that's how important Michael Passaro is to mm -hmm. the Broadway stage management community. And he just brings in all of these professors who are working professionals. Oh. And we, you know, finesse learning how to call a show. We finesse 
interactions between crew members and actors and general managers and producers and just helping to build the toolkit and also knowing that like all of us may have a different way or a different brand or you know can do things differently and there's no one right way to stage manage so that's just fostered and it's a safe space to ask your questions and figure out the things you don't know and pursue the things you don't know so that when you're put into a professional atmosphere you have the basis you have the knowledge you know what you don't know and you know it's okay to say you know what i don't know this could you help me do this and you figure things out as you're doing so like tina turner the musical was that was my like epiphany moment where it's like there's just so many things I don't know about keeping this long running huge show up and running and maintaining it in the way it needs to be maintained. So I had all of the basis of information from the school that I got, but just doing it and learning it and going to my team and asking for help and just learning from them was also extremely valuable to who I am today as a stage manager. Wow, that's great. And then, you know, these, you know, we're, we're going to have to wrap up shortly. But before we wrap up, I have two burning questions I still have that I really need to ask. I can't let you go without asking them, uh, if that's okay. Um, first, what is it, does the way you stage manage, because you just said a little, a couple minutes ago, seconds ago, that there is no right way to stage manage. Does the way you stage manage for you personally change depending on the director you're working for? with most people have a stage management metaphor my stage management metaphor um is that each show is a car you know how to drive the car but depending car to car the brake is going to be a little bit touchy you gotta you know put the pedal to the metal to get the gas the blinker might be in the wrong place you gotta figure out how to get the lights on so each show is its own new car and you figure out as you're driving how to best make the car run so it'll definitely change depending on the director depending on the designers depending how big it is the actors your team Mm. no show is alike even if you are remounting a show that show is not going to be the same because people change Mm. so it really is is just doing the best you can in the moment with the tools that you have and the person you are and knowing that everything you're doing, you know, is good. It is good enough. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. You don't have to compare yourself to even yourself. Like everything you are doing, if you're doing it with a good heart and you know that this is what you want it to look like and what you want it to do, like that is, that is correct. And so it will change depending show to Mm -hmm. show, but you as yourself, like, you know who you are, you know what you want. And like, you also have permission to change, but people usually have, you know, a toolkit and that toolkit changes depending on the scenario you're in. That's great. And I love the car metaphor. I think that's wonderful because that's really makes it easy to understand. And also the fact that each show is different must be nice for you because you probably never are bored. (laughs) I would think it's probably never bored. And, like, some people get bored, like, when the show opens. The shows I have worked on, even after opening, are not boring because there's just so much happening 24-7. Well, and as you described with the Tina Turner weekend that you had with several Tinas, I mean, it's never boring because you never know what's going to happen. Live theater, right? So let me ask you, the last question I want to ask you, so what do you find most difficult about your job? And then on the flip side, what is the most rewarding? That's a good question. I know. It's what people, you know, I I just really, in this particular case, I really wanted to know. I think the 
most difficult part is how demanding the job is. Mm-hmm. And I, since the shutdown, I've really figured out that so much of my identity was wrapped up in work. Uh-huh. And I think that is partly me and partly capitalism and where I was equating my worth to how much output I did. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes takes a toll on who you are as a person because work comes first and the job is life where it's like, actually the job is part of my life and my life is also my life. So I think the most difficult part is just how demanding the job is and how much of yourself you have to give to it. Mm -hmm. I think the most rewarding is the people you get to interact with your team, especially you, you know, I don't want to say it's like a little family because sometimes that's, you know, detrimental, but it is like your team, especially as a little family and you just have so much fun with them, especially if it's, you know, it is possible you might not be on a good team, but like if you're on a team that works and everybody's just there to have a good time and do the job, it is just so rewarding. And it's so rewarding working with different actors and different designers and different directors and just different people because you just get to learn so much more about them and life and yourself and just theater is really just a big community and it's so great getting to work with all these different people that you would not normally interact with on a normal day-to-day basis. Well, that's great, Rachel. Thank you so much. I mean, it's been great talking to you and um, on American Theater Artists Online. And I just wanted to say, do you have any exciting online projects coming up? Did you did you dive into the venture into that online world or are you waiting for the live stuff to come back in the spring or fall? I have dabbled in online uh, shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next one that's coming up is a cute, fun new musical called Millennials Are Killing Musicals. And it was written by a millennial, so it is ironic. (laughs) Uh, And it's quite cute. And um, it's going to be online, and I don't quite have the details for that. But it's called Millennials Are Killing Musicals, written by Nico Juber. Mm -hmm. And it will be January 11th through the 15th, somewhere around. Oh, wow, in 2021. Great. And so you are working on the online, and I assume that's a, that's a whole different animal. Did, do you have to dive into sort of the back, do you use StreamYard or Zoom or those things? Do you have to get into the technical aspects of that, or do you do more of the stage management for rehearsal and performance? Zoom is my baby. Mm-hmm. Zoom and I are best friends. Mm-hmm. I now know almost everything there is to know about Zoom. Right. I'm not that proficient in StreamYard. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we've been working with a guy named Jeremy Handelman who Mm -hmm. runs his own video production company and he is a StreamYard master. So we were going to do one show on StreamYard. We found out Mm -hmm. that the StreamYard, like technical limits, you can only have 10 people and we had 15 Mm -hmm. actors, you know, we knew StreamYard wasn't going to be the platform we used. Um, so we went back to Zoom, but you know, he has luckily been around on the last several shows I've worked on. So if StreamYard does come into conversation, he's the master and he tried to teach me a little bit. I feel like I know a little bit, but Zoom is really where, uh, I have harnessed my skills. Great. Well, that's awesome to hear that you've died. You know, you you dove right in there to the online stuff as well. Um, now, so you mentioned the, this new musical, the millennials are killing musicals. Is that it? Uh, the, how, how can people find out more as it comes out? Should they follow you? Do you have social media accounts that people can follow or a website or how can people find out more about some of the projects that you're working on if they want to keep following? Um, I would say I do, I am on social media, I am on Facebook, uh, my Instagram is rzucker37, 
Um, I do not have a website, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, you can reach out to me via Instagram or Facebook and I'm usually pretty good about responding. Yeah. And I think mostly if people just want to like know when the show is, is, is opening or when the next thing's happening for you. And, you know, I, I always like to put that in there in case people want to be reached uh, through social media or not. Uh, and so Rachel, it's been great talking to you. We're really looking forward to um, things opening back up in 2021. It's just around the corner and I'm hoping that you'll be on the team for six. If that's the show that ends up going first, um, and out there and we'll be seeing you on, you know, on the boards or behind the boards or behind the stage soon. Thank you so much, Stefan. It was really great talking to you. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for being on American Theatre Artists Online. Have a great evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.